In a world so wired and interconnected, our anxious hearts are pummeled by the endless barrage of troubling news. We're daily aware of more grief, O oh Lord, than we can rightly consider, of more suffering and scandal than we can respond to, of more hostility, hatred, horror, injustice than we can engage with compassion. But you, O oh Jesus, are not disquieted by such news of cruelty and terror and war. You're neither anxious nor overwhelmed. You carry the full weight of the suffering of a broken world when you hung upon that cross and carry it still. Justice and mercy, healing and redemption are your great labors. And yes, it is your a good pleasure to accomplish such works through your people, but you never asked any one of us to undertake more than your grace will enable us to fulfill. So Lord, give us discernment in the face of troubling news reports. Give us discernment to when to know how to pray, how to speak out, when to act, and when to sit quietly in your presence. Casting the burdens of this world upon your strong shoulders to the one alone who's able to bear them up. Lord, I'm so grateful for Good News Church. So thankful for the church that you put us here so that we could proclaim the gospel to those in need. But as we're proclaiming that gospel, help us to understand and remember that we need the gospel more than anyone. That without the gospel, without your goodness, without your works, we are stuck in our sin. So Lord, bring all of our exhaustion, all of our worries, all our fears, all of our anxiousness to you. Lord, we also want to bring our joys to you. There's much to rejoice in and much to be thankful for. And I'm so grateful that we're able to find our identity in you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our purpose is going to come up on the screen. If you would say this purpose with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel in biblical community. This week's message is really a, a powerful thing for me and for us to focus on. Today I'm preaching on Pokemon. And just kidding, but I was listening during the two-minute grill. We're not going to talk about Pokemon, but what we are going to talk about is the one story of the Bible. In the last three weeks, we've been focusing on creation. Uh, week one, Pastor Smiley did a great job of laying the foundation of what God's Word says about creation. Then last week, we looked at why we believe in creation, that Jesus believes in creation, that it fits the Bible, and it also fits the world that we live in. Today we're going to look at, does it even matter? Why, why are we even looking at creation? Does it matter for the world that, that we live in? And so the point for this week's message is that the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. So we should probably read that, right? The first most important verse in the Bible is the first one. The first verse is in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And so we've been challenging you each week to be able to ask whether it be a friend or neighbor or a stranger, just ask some questions to get some conversation going. So can I have someone help me up here on stage, just a, a volunteer? You guys are so scared of me. That's, I see someone raising their hand. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Yeah, go ahead. Come on up. You're so excited. Come on. Come on. He's like, me? Me? Uh, this might disappoint you because this is the one time I don't really have a giveaway for you, but come on up here, buddy. All right, so introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, I'm Jack. Hey, Jack. What's up, man? Okay, so first question I have for you is, what's your favorite restaurant? Tijuana Flats. Nice, man. 
I could eat Mexican at every meal, so that's amazing. Okay, so this one's a little bit more complex, okay? Do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation? Yes. Okay, why? God's awesome. All right, man. Way to go, Jack. Thanks a lot, man. You're awesome. That was great. Give it up for Jack. He did a great job. Hey, Jack. Do me a favor, on your card, okay, I'm not joking about this, on your card, make sure you write your address on there, and I'll get you a gift card to Tijuana Flats, okay? I'm serious. All right, make sure you write it on there. Make sure you write Jack on stage so I remember who you are, okay? I'm going to hook that guy up with some Mexican food. All right, see, that wasn't a hard, right, to ask? Now, now, when you're asking these questions and you're getting answers from people, I've gotten some lots of strange answers from people, and that's okay. There's no right or wrong answer. We're just trying to engage people in the gospel, see what they think, and respect their responses, and then hopefully it leads into a gospel uh, conversation. The most important verse in the Bible is the first one, and we want to be able to share that with people the best way and the most loving and truthful way that we can. So that's one of the two goals of the series is to be able to empower you and give you the tools that you need so you can ask questions with people to lead into gospel conversations. The other goal of the series is for you to know the one story of the Bible and to be able to share that with confidence with people, that you'll be able to share that there is creation. And then after creation came sin, and then after sin came redemption, and then Jesus is coming again with the chapter of consummation. Now, many of you have asked you what's the most important verse of the Bible, especially all you Florida Gator fans. You remember Tim Tebow with John 3.16, right? Uh, I thought the Gators would start doing their chomp after the win last night, but I guess you guys are just tired. But John 3.16, right? I mean, that's what you would say is the most important verse. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I believe that's the most precious verse of the Bible because it explains the gospel so clearly in one verse. But I believe that if we don't have the foundation of believing the first verse of the Bible, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it's going to be difficult to build any other type of faith on a shaky foundation. And that's why we believe it's important that we believe the first verse of the Bible to be able to build on that. Now, the main scripture for this morning is not some really nice, cushy verse. You're not going to read, I'm not going to read this and you're going to be like, wow, Andy, that's so joyful and so awesome. Uh, but I want us, as we're reading it, to remember this is not ammunition for us to pick up our rocks and throw at those sinful people that don't believe what we believe. No, instead, we need to have an unbelievably thankful heart that if we know Jesus, that he didn't leave us in this state outside of Christ in our sin because each and every one of us, and I'm the chief of them, are sinners and we desperately need Jesus. And it's only by his grace, his love, his mercy, all the ways that he cares for us that we can have any hope of life outside of sin in Christ. So I want you as you read these verses to remember that. But it's not some fuzzy, cuddly scripture, okay? Here we go. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The wrath of God, see I told you, starts off with the wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, un, all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural ones for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relationships with women natural relations with women, and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Therefore, since they did not think it worthy to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And they they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-hearers, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing good. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. A lot to digest there, right? I think it's really easy for us to become self-righteous and to say, well, that's, that's not me. That's not us. I want to give you some really good news that the sonship curriculum says, I want you to cheer up because you're way worse than you think you are. You are. I know I think of myself too good. You think of yourself too good. We're way worse. We fit into all of these categories outside of Christ. But also cheer up because the gospel is far better than you could ever imagine. We can't understand. Yeah, you can clap for God for that. Absolutely. Because the light is far lighter in the darkness. And before we can understand how dark our hearts are outside of Christ, we'll never uh, be able to understand how light and how amazing God is. And so when I read through those scriptures, I realize that my heart is an idol factory that I can easily fall into sin, and I'm so grateful that Jesus rescued me and redeemed me. You see, in verse 25, it says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. If we know what the truth is, we should be unbelievably motivated to share that with people that, that believe in the lie. Instead of pointing the finger at them and throwing rocks at them and saying them that they have it wrong, we should have so much compassion for them because we were once in that spot ourselves. We once believed the lie and we were told the truth. Jesus says in John 3.16, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know those things. And we see that in the worldview of our country. We really, as a country, we really started with a Christian worldview that there is God, and because there is a God, because there is a creator, 
there is truth, and because there's truth, there is purpose, and because we have purpose, we can have hope. And all those things really fit together. And then, really, in the mid-1900s, things started to change a bit. We started removing God from the public place. We started saying, you know what, we're not, we're not going to have God. We're not going to acknowledge the Creator, but we still want truth. So there's still going to be morals, and we're going to still have family values, and we're going to still focus on those things, even though we've kind of taken away the foundation. We still believe that those things are important, and, and we're inventing all kinds of things, and we're, and we're continuing to, to be the leader in the world as a country, and so we have purpose, and we have hope because we see that there's, there's still some things happening in our country, but recently we've kind of moved into the postmodern worldview where there is no God, the creator, and because of that, there is no truth. If you've noticed that, that people make their own truth, that truth is relative, and we are make sure that we're unbelievably politically correct because we don't want to offend your truth uh, with the truth that I have, and because of that, there's no real truth, and because there's no real truth, there's, there's no real purpose of what we're trying to accomplish in our world today, and because of that, there is no hope. Do you know that the suicide rate among teens right now is the highest it's ever been? And I believe because there is no truth, there's no purpose, the young people in our world today are realizing there is no hope. I want to tell you, if you're a teenager here, there is hope. There is hope, and there's hope that's found in Christ. And the reason why I know that is I've experienced it in my own life and seen it in the lives of hundreds of people, how how Jesus uh, and the Creator God has given us hope through the truth that He's given us in His Word. He's given you a specific purpose. You're made in His image. You're not a mistake. God's going to work in and through you for His love and for His glory. That's what we're called as the people of God there is purpose. And that's why this topic matters. That's why it matters that we need to believe the first verse in Bible. That's why we say the most important verse in the Bible is the first one, because it gives us the foundation of everything else. I talked about last week the movie Expelled, and I really encourage you to go and check out this movie. That's your extra credit for this week. Ben Stein put this movie together. It's, it's probably maybe 10 years old now. But it goes and talks to all of these professors, all these scientists that believe in creation. They believe that there's someone that created, and because they believe that, they're being expelled from their positions. They're being taken out of positions of, of, of uh, influence at their schools. Students that are believing in writing papers about creation, they're getting zeros on tests. They're getting expelled. They're getting pushed away. And we as believers in Christ, we need to pray for change, and we need to realize that people have traded the truth for a lie, and we need to stand up for God's goodness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And we need to pray, and we need to get involved, and we need to do everything we can to stand up for the truth of God in a loving way. Because if we stumble here on the first verse of the Bible, then we're going to stumble with all kinds of other things. We don't know what to do with, with miracles and what is going to be our foundation for morality. But if we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, when we see miracles happen among us, then that we can... We can grasp that. We can believe that because God created everything. He can do what he wants. And we know what the foundation is of raising our kids and in our marriage and in our relationships with other people because we have it right here in God's word. Now listen, it's, it's hard to follow this, right? 
It's hard to follow this on a, on a daily basis. But that's why we gather together, and that's why we gather in small groups, to encourage one another to follow after God. Now listen, I, I want you to hear me really clearly. That believing in creation is not necessary to be saved. Okay, I, I, I want to make that very clear. We see nowhere in Scripture that says you have to believe in creation to have salvation. In fact, we see many verses in Scripture that show how salvation is attained. You look in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, If Christ had not, has not risen, then your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. We need Christ to be raised from the dead for us to be saved. That's vital to our faith. John 3, 3 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need to admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, commit to him as Lord and Savior to be saved. Romans 10 says how to do that. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that's what we want desperately for every single person here. Every single person in our community, in our world, to know Jesus and know the salvation that's found in him. It's so vital that you trust in Jesus. None of us are getting out of this life alive. You need to be prepared to face your death. And you also need the hope that can only be found in him. We proclaim the gospel. We share Jesus with people because we care about people. Because we love people. And the most unloving thing in the world would be to take the truth that we know and not share it with anyone. Now, sometimes we're knuckleheads and we're annoying and we share it all the wrong way and we turn people off. And if you're one of those people, I want to tell you I'm sorry. But the reason why we do that is because we just want you to know Jesus. And sometimes we get it wrong, but it comes from a place of love and care to share the gospel with people. So even though it isn't salvation, and it isn't, isn't necessary for salvation, it is a foundational thing for your faith. It'd be like trying to build a stack of blocks with a foundation that looked like this. How high do you guys think I'm going to get here? Let's see. I'm going to actually try here. Okay. Not very high. The first service, I got three blocks on there. This service, I didn't do as good. But what happens if you have a foundation that's more solid? You have a foundation that looks like this. I mean, we can keep going. I mean, you guys have played Jenga before, right? I mean, we can keep going and going and going when you have a solid foundation. When you have a solid foundation, you can keep building and keep building. I don't even really have to even think about where to put the next block because it's a solid foundation, right? And that's what we're talking about believing the first verse is that it creates a solid foundation. Without that, we fall into this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. That's what we fall into when we go away from the foundation of Scripture. And every, almost every major doctrine in the Bible is found in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, we look through it. Obviously, we talked about God creating the heavens and the earth. I mean, that, that foundational doctrine is found in Genesis, that God uniquely created man and woman in His image, that the first man and woman brought sin into the world. 
that in Genesis 3, it actually talks about the Messiah coming. In Genesis 3, uh, 1 through 24, but specifically Genesis 3, 15, from the beginning, God promised the Messiah to save us. That death and suffering arose because of original sin. God set society's standards of right and wrong, that the ultimate purpose of life is to walk with God and to glorify Him. We find that in Genesis, a foundational thing, that all people belong to one race, the human race. I mean, this is so vital for the world we live in right now with all of the racism and the bigotry that's happening in our world. If we just went back to the foundations of Scripture, we'd see that we're all one race. We're all one people. We're all created in God's image. If we would just run back to God's Word and apply it, all the things that we see that are so disgusting in our world would be fixed. But we're sinners. We're sinners, and we think that we know best. We think that we know God. We think we know better than God. And because of that, we build foundations that don't hold up. And there's consequences to that. And all of us have lived those consequences of sin. And that's why it's so vital that we understand the Bible, that we understand what the foundation of the Bible is. I think so many people think that Christianity and science are enemies of each other. And I've always tried to proclaim from the states they're not. They're not at all. In fact, many of the people that found, founded all of these uh, areas of science, things that have changed the world forever from Isaac Newton to, to Blaise Pascal to William Ramsey and all of these different ways that they have influenced the world and the sciences that they have instituted themselves, they're all Bible-believing Christians. They don't have to be at odds at all. In fact, we do a little backyard science here. And listen, this is not a science book. I'm going to be really clear about that. This is not a science book. It's one story of, of the creation happening and then sin happening and then redemption happening and then Jesus coming again someday to redeem all things. It's one story of a seeking and saving Savior, Jesus. But when we do a little backyard science, it's kind of fun. We get to see how the Bible actually was able to proclaim things about our world because guess what? It was written by the Creator, so He knows a lot about our world. And we get to see that even before all these discoveries were made, we could see from Scripture there were some really cool things that God's Word was proclaiming. Like in Genesis 22, verse 17, talking about Abraham's descendants, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as sand on the seashore. I'm not sure what they were thinking when they read this, but at the time, there was only 3,000 known stars with the rudimentary telescopes that they had and seeing with the naked eye, they only thought there was about 3,000 stars. Well, now with all of our unbelievable, powerful technology and telescopes, we know that there are 10 to the 21st power stars. That's a lot of zeros, right? And we know that sand on the seashore is about 10 to the 25th power um, amount of grains of sand. And as scientists discover more and more and more stars, wouldn't it be interesting if those numbers were actually the same, but they're certainly a lot closer than uh, when they first knew about this in Genesis. In Leviticus chapter 17, at the time, there was nothing known about the blood and how that's the lifeblood of, of the uh, of humans. That wasn't discovered until 1616 by William Harvey, but here in, in Leviticus 17, it says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. See, 
God's word was proclaiming that even before, even before we knew that was the case. If you look in, in Isaiah chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 40, verse 22, when everyone was believing that the world was flat, uh, God's word was proclaiming something else. It says he sits enthroned above the circle, and the Hebrew word for circle is the word shrug, which basically any Hebrew word you want to say is just like you're hawking up phlegm. That's just, that's just it. Shrug was the word. And it's just fun to do, right? Uh, and it means sphere. It means circle. And so God's word was proclaiming that even before anybody said that, that there was actually a sphere, a sphere that, we, that we live on. I love looking at some of these things because it shows that God's word fits into the world that we believe in. And, and I want to geek out a little bit here talking about the law of thermodynamics. And I bet you never thought you'd hear about this in church, right? But this is really fun. Just stick, stick with me here a little bit of this because this is great. So the first law of th- thermodynamics, this is what it says. It says that neither matter nor energy can be created or destroyed. The amount of energy in the universe is constant. Energy can be changed, moved, controlled, stored, or dissipated. However, this energy cannot be created from nothing or reduced to nothing. Then the second law of thermodynamics says, while quality remains the same, the quantity of the matter or energy deteriorates over time. So basically what it's saying is that every cause must be at least as great as the effect that it will produce. Right? The cause needs, is going to produce an effect that, that's less. The cause has to be greater than the effect. So when you look at things in our world, it just makes sense that the first cause of limitless space out in our, in our galaxies must be infinite. The first cause of endless time must be eternal. If you're going to have endless time, you have to have a cause that's eternal. The first cause of inner, uh, universal interrelationships must be omnipresent. If we're going to have relationships, how did that first start? The first cause of infinite complexity must be omniscient. And then when you take it to spiritual values, it just makes sense, right? The first cause of spiritual values, if we have spiritual values in our life, if we have all have a God-shaped uh, hole in our heart that can only be filled with spiritual things, then that cause has to be spiritual. It has to come from a spiritual source. It can't come from nothing. The same thing with human integrity. Where do we get truth from? Well, it has to come from a truthful source. And we know as believers in the one true God that he is truthful. The first cause of human love, that couldn't have come from nothing. That couldn't have come from, from material that wasn't loving. It has to come from a loving source, just applying these laws of thermodynamics. You have to have a cause that's loving to produce love. And we know that God is love. The first cause of life must be living. See, we know these things in the world that we live in because we see that all around us. For although they knew God, they never glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I don't want to know about God and not give thanks to him. I don't want to know about God and not give glory to him. I don't want to know about God but then deny the truth. And that's why it's so vital uh, believing the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it answers life's questions. It fits into our world that there is a creation, and it was scarred by sin. Do we see sin in our world? Do you guys see sin? If you don't see sin, just hang out with me for a day. You'll see that very clearly, okay? There is sin in our world. We just turn on the news for five minutes. We can see it. 
We're doing the local Hero Sunday in a couple of weeks. You ask any police officer, anybody in the military, or anybody that's a firefighter, EMT, they'll tell you there's sin in the world. And that we weren't stuck in our sin, that there's redemption. There was a person named Jesus that came on this earth. That is historical. There's a historical Jesus It's a seeking and saving Savior. And one day he is going to come again. See, it fits the world that we live in. It answers those life's questions. And it also gives us clarity on every major battle in our cultural wars. And listen, we're not trying to win arguments. We're not trying to fight with people just so that we can be right. But we want to stand up for God's word. And when we believe the first verse in the Bible, it becomes very clear where we should stand on these things. And I, I want to be very clear when I say this. I know not every evolutionist is someone that's, that's pro-choice or pro-abortion. But when, you're in, when you believe in evolution, it does make more sense to say if someone doesn't really quite fit, if someone's disabled, if someone is poor, someone has a bad quality of life, that they're going to be in a bad situation, then we all come from animals anyway, we're animals, then it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to abort. But as believers in, in creation, we believe that human life is sacred, that we're made in the image of God, that we're, we're male and female, that we're created for God's glory. And when Tim Tebow and the rest of his family did the, the commercial during the Super Bowl a few years ago, well, they believe in creation. Because of that, they want to stand up for life. They believe that life is God-given and it's sacred and it's worth living and, and that we need to do everything we can to protect the unborn and those that aren't taken care of, that those that have no voice, those that are disabled, those that are struggling. We need to do everything we can as believers in Christ to stand up because we believe the first verse in the Bible is true. The same thing with, with same-sex marriage. I mean, a lot of this scripture that I read in Romans talks about all the things involved there, and we believe that God made people male and female. And listen, as a church, as a whole in America, we've done a pretty bad job of this, doing a pretty bad job of proclaiming truth and hope and love to people that may be in the midst of homosexual sin. We've isolated that sin, made them feel isolated, made them feel ostracized, made them feel not welcomed, when the reality is we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with things. And so we need to proclaim truth, but we need to proclaim truth and love in a way where we value people, because people are made in the image of God, and we need to remember that. But God was very clear on this. In fact, Jesus even spoke about this, that he made them male and female Man and woman in marriage for a purpose. In Matthew chapter 19, what I read last week, haven't you read? This is Jesus talking. He replied that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. For there are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. See, we know from God's word we're to stand on these issues because we believe in the first verse of the Bible. And I know that there are many Christian educators in this room. Last week we honored uh, educators here, and I'm so grateful and thankful for you for the ways that you pray for your students, the way that you care for your students, the way that you help your students. And we're blessed in St. John's County to have many Christian administrators that do everything they can to, to pray for the, for the 
kids that are in our school system. But as a whole, as the United, in the United States, as a public forum, we have said we're going to teach our kids about science and about history and about other subjects, removing God from that. And when we do that, it's actually an anti-Christian religion that we're pushing on other people. We're saying all these things can be explained without God. And we say, no, as the people of God, they can't be explained without God. They need God because God created all things. And we need to realize the things that are at stake. When we say it's okay to not believe in the first verse of the Bible, and we give that up, we start eroding the foundation that God has set for us. To follow Jesus more fully, we must understand that Jesus affirmed the creation account in Genesis that he believes it, and the Bible affirms it, and I believe the world that we live in shows and affirms it. And that's why we encourage people this week to just ask the question. To ask the question that I asked Jack, do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution? And why is that? And just ask people this week. Start a gospel conversation. Maybe you have a chance to be able to share what you believe. Maybe you have a chance to be able to invite someone to come hear the next part of the story in the fall of man. See, we believe the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. And remember, we are here to reach and transform people by the power of the what? Gospel. The power of the gospel. That God didn't leave us in our sin. He was a seeking and saving Savior that cared about us so much, that valued us so much, that he left everything in heaven to come down to earth. And so, listen, we don't want to win an argument for the sake of winning an argument. We want to win people for Christ. We want to help them to come to know Jesus. We want to rejoice like we are going to do right now that five people this week came to faith in Christ. And so we rejoice in that through the ministry of Good News Church. That's, that's what we want to rejoice in. So remember that, dear people. Remember as you're going out. Remember the first verse of the Bible. Remember that he did create all things. Remember that he has an amazing purpose and plan for you. And remember, he cares for you deeply. And so go out with that strength. Go out with the strength that can only be found in the Trinity. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to speak the truth in love. I'm so grateful and thankful that you spoke to me the truth in love. When I was far away from you, when I was godless, when I was full of sin, when I was in my foolish ways, when I was running from you, when I was a slanderer, when I was a gossip, when I didn't know you. You surrounded me with people that did, that were bold enough to share their truth with me. They were bold enough to share the love that they had from you with me. So Lord, help us to be a people that deeply care about others. Help us to be a people that believe the first verse of the Bible and act like it. Help us to be a people that follow after God's word, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's tough, even when we need to be bold, even when we're shunned, even when we're pushed away, even when we don't know what to say or what to do. We count on you and your mercy and your grace. Help us to be a people to fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.